Hello and welcome back to the Explosion Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast Extra. Sorry if um, you're watching this or listening to this on Catch Up from LinkedIn. We just had a bit of an error and for some reason wouldn't let us stream on LinkedIn today. So huge apologies for that one. We're very, very sad, but hopefully you'll be able to catch us elsewhere. So today I'm joined by the wonderful Tim and the wonderful Annabelle, and we are going to be talking about how to do B2B marketing that dominates in 2024, which um, if you're, you've just got here and you're like, I'm not B2B, please stick around because this kind of knowledge is helpful for any kind of business. And it sort of gives you, helps you think outside the box, which I think is really important. How are you, Tim? Today? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good, very well. Never sure quite how to answer that. Very well, thanks, Jess. What's <laughs> what about yourself, Annabelle? I'm very good. I have I have a little friend with me. Do you have a creature? That is a tiny dog. The tiniest dog. She's very cute. She's just having a little nap on my lap at the moment, so. Can she build links, though? We've tried. She can tap the keyboard. Yep. There you go. So you need. Wally's better at that though. Wally can walk over the keyboard. I'm teaching him how to type. Wally's my hamster, by the way, everyone. <laughs> perfect. 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 Now we've introduced everybody in the room, which is very, very important. We're going to hop onto the first topic, which is finding your audience in the B2B space. Because I feel like it can be really, really challenging for B2B businesses who are trying to pin down their audience and they know the type of business they want to target. But it's quite difficult to understand who within the company you're talking to because you're not talking to an office building and you're not talking to everyone. There's one person in that company, more likely than not, who's going to start that search for the thing that they need for the company. And this might not be your most pro person. We've, I think, Tim, you shared an example a while ago about um, it was like CT scanners. I think they were sold by Samsung and the terminology on the website was surgeon level. And it was like, actually, the person who's going to be looking for this product probably isn't a surgeon. Tim, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I, one of the things that we always, every time we did a show, we uh, when we got back from the show, we would go, I, I would just call up a handful of the leads and just talk to them and find out what their their needs were. Because, you know, just from our perspective as a marketing agency, you think, oh, you know, these people want to crush rankings. They want to do this. They want to do that. And actually, when you're talking to them, you realize, actually, no, they want to prove to their boss that they're not worthless. They want to, you know, get some great success stories under their belt so they can take that forward and put that on LinkedIn for their future career. And you start to realize, actually, the game that we thought we were playing, the messages that we thought were going to resonate, actually, that might not be the case at all. And I think understanding not just the role of the person, but their particular motivations and goals and desires in the wider organization is is so important. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get onto content in a minute, but Annabelle, how do you kind of get inside that audience's head and figure out, do you write to one specific person within a company when you're writing for B2B? How do you sort of approach that? So what I do, a little technique I find is really useful, funny that Tim mentioned LinkedIn, is I go to the company page on LinkedIn and I look at the people that are actually on LinkedIn that they've put on LinkedIn as part of the company page. And then I have a look at who's posting the most because I tend to find that whoever's putting the most posts on LinkedIn is the best person to contact. And I look at the posts as well, the type of posts they're putting on to try and get a feel of what the company's aiming to do. So whether they're aiming to sell 
services or products? Are they aiming to build their brand and kind of create a specific kind of persona? Um, you know, you get a really good feel for what people are doing. If the company is not on LinkedIn and I'm not able to approach it that way, then I tend to actually go to the website, find some of the people that are involved with the higher up people, so your CEOs, COOs, but also some of the people that maybe are involved in marketing, if there's ever they've still got any marketing people. And then I type their names into Google search and see what comes up. You can get a lot of information that way. You can get a really good feel for the person, you know, whether they like to be in the spotlight, whether they're very private, all these types of things. And then that gives you the way, a good way to approach them. Because, you know, if you're, if you're approaching somebody that isn't maybe a, an extrovert that isn't particularly talkative or, or might not respond straight away, you know, okay, send an email, send another email a few days later, it's worth following up, you know, things like that. So I just try and I try and get a feel for things by, by kind of doing those types of searches, that little bit of research first. You know, sometimes you can find them on YouTube. If you can watch someone on YouTube, it's the best thing ever because you really can get a feel for what they're like. Um, so that's another place to have a look, just see if there's if there's any videos on YouTube that they've put up. So yeah, a bit of a mixture of things that I tend to do. Nice, yeah, it helps you get like a really good picture of the business that you're writing for, but also you can kind of do it in reverse and look at their clients and you know they might have told you about and then um, and and do it that way. So that's that's really really cool. We are going to talk more in detail now about content marketing and digital PR when it comes to. B2B because I think sometimes B2B businesses will fall into a trap of using a lot of jargon as we mentioned sort of doing case studies just for the sake of it because they feel like it's something that they need to do and I can imagine as well and I've seen this in practice a lot that a lot of them think they can't do digital PR campaigns because they feel like they can only be in industry publications yeah. or that's the only place their audience is and I would say that's that's really not true. Tim, in your experience with like B2B businesses, what would you say is the greatest content marketing asset that a B2B business could use to get more customers? That's a good question. Uh, it's a big question. It does I, vary, I, I suppose, from business to business. Go for it. Yeah, go on, quickly, I think the best asset that a company could use would be us, really, to do their content marketing. I mean, like, you know, seriously, why would you try and do it yourself when you can get someone to do it so much better for you and concentrate on the elements of your business that that you're good at you know so that would be my personal opinion um I'm going to pass it back to Tim now I think that there's a couple of things so one you mentioned case studies Jess and and I think for b2b case studies are a real uh, landmine because on the one hand, your sales team needs case studies and they might need specific examples from specific products or services, but your marketing might need a different type of case study. The marketing case studies might be more about the transformation or the story that a particular client has gone on. And in the B2B space, it's very rare to get a really, what I consider a good case study for marketing, a useful case study. Something that you know takes the visitor on a journey from what you really want in a case study is for your audience to recognize themselves in the subjects of the case study, right? So the before is that's where I'm at. Think of the fitness transformation. That's where I'm at. Got a bit too much weight around the middle. That's where I want to get to shredded. You know, that's the journey that we want the audience to see. And we want the audience to 
project themselves into that case and say, this is the journey I'm going to go on if I if I sign up with this business. But that's not how most B2Bs um, address their case studies. What they really want to do is get their technical detail about exactly what happened and when and all this stuff. And the audience just doesn't care most of the time. The other really powerful asset is, you know, digital PR. I mean, some of the coverage that Annabelle has got for clients is just extraordinary. If you're in a high authority publication written by a third party, and your business is mentioned as having a transformational effect on someone um, or a business or you know your product or service, there's a there's like a case study built into a very reputable um, publication. I think that's incredible because that essentially does your selling for you. It's much more compelling when it comes from someone outside of your business. So I think those two uh, sort of um, are, those those two types of item can be really powerful as part of a content marketing campaign. Definitely, for sure. Annabelle, if somebody's watching who's part of a B2B business and they want to try and come up with an interesting digital PR campaign, how could they go about kind of finding what works? I suppose they can't really jump on like the Taylor Swift NFL kind of hype that maybe other businesses can right now, um, but maybe they can. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. So what would kind of be, what would be your approach for a B2B business? So my approach is, Journalists always want something with a human interest. And no matter what you sell, trying to think of something a bit boring, um, let's say, I don't know, you sell... SD card readers. High-speed SD card readers, Annabelle. Well, if There's I knew what one of those was, then I would be able to talk <laughs> about it. But as I'm very not technical, I have no idea what a card reader is. And I've never used one in my life. Um <laughs> What about a headset? Like your headset looks very much yeah, like a There we go, center. headset. So Business headset. Perfect, thank you. I know what a headset is. That's ideal. So, see, so um, you want to sell headsets. How do you find a personal, how do you find like a human interest story? Maybe you could run a competition to give away a headset and you could ask people to um, give you reasons why they why they deserve to get this free headset. And then out of that, you know, the very small cost of kind of giving away a headset. You you bound to find some type of human interest element in there. And obviously you put something in that, you know, we would need to use your, you need to give us permission to use your answer. In a, you know, this will might be published in the media. Then that way you've got something straight away that you can pitch to journalists. So you can say, um, this is our company. We just won this competition. We thought you might be interested in this particular reason why somebody wanted a free headset you know we've got the cost of living crisis you could tie it into that somebody want a free headset because they need to get a job their headset's broken you know there's so many ways to like make something out of your particular product that journalists will love but what you need to do is you need to give them what they need because most journalists working on multiple stories lots of deadlines they, if you can give them something they can use, they're more likely to use it. It's that it's really that simple. So if you, for example, pitch to a journalist, let's say you pitching to a journalist and you said, Hi, I sell headsets. Um I'd really like to be uh help, I'd really like to help you with a story about businesses struggling in you know, to, to regain customers after COVID or something like that, or why we did so well over COVID or, you know, something like that. Yes, it's good. It's got the human interest, but then they've still got to get back to you. 
Have you got someone that they can quote? What what how what angle could they use? You know, there's a lot of work there for them to do, even though you've given them quite a good pitch. If you contact them and say, Hi, we've just done this competition, here's something you can use in your article, here's all the information you need about our company, boom. Great, they've got it. They can send that off to whoever they need to send it off to. Their editor, you know, could I do a story on this? Yes, you can. They've got everything they need. Type it up, done, published in a few days. You know, and that's what you want. And that's how I got our client into the independent. I did exactly that. Um, I knew that it was unlikely they'd do a feature on them if they didn't have that human interest side of things. So they were very helpful, to be fair. They found one of their clients who's willing to speak to me. I spoke to him. I got some quotes that I knew journalists would love. I sent them off to a few different publications. Someone from the independent came back and said, we love this. We'd really like to use it. Boom, done. You know, and I got them into the independent, no charge, you know, proper, what I think it's called organic media when you do it like that. Um, I should know that term, shouldn't I? But there we go. I'm going to stop talking now because I am a little bit talkative. So just, <laughs> no, you're all good. Just for a minute, no, you, you had know, so much. Chance. You had so and, much. And I've, I've got to say, Annabelle, that for those who are listening, you think, oh yeah, you know, that was just a feature. No, this was like, th- this is the the opioid crisis. That's correct. Piece, yeah. Yeah. So so this was an entire story about a trending topic, and the the client's case study was effectively the story. Yes. So this wasn't like just a little quote from the client. This was basically, can a mainstream news publication publish your entire case study as a story? Yes. And and it was extraordinary to see how, like you're saying, giving them all of that stuff up front. I mean, you've got us featured in ridiculous places where we've got coverage from a, a an article you wrote about Madonna's tour being canceled. Like you're, creativity for finding angles for journalists is just extraordinary and i think goes to show like explosion ninja fundamentally we're a boring b2b company <laughs> i don't agree but <laughs> i don't think we're boring i love that we're not boring i'm not boring but talk for yourself what right do we have to get a feature on an article about madonna's tour being cancelled it's just outrageous so it's all about how you approach these things isn't it yeah yeah, for sure. And and always don't think you're boring. Because if you think you're boring, you'll come across as boring. If you think you're interesting, you'll come across as interesting. There'll be somebody who is interested. For, There's always someone who's interested. Sure. Indeed. <laughs> um, on the topic of kind of content marketing and digital PR, this is kind of in the same bracket, but separates a little bit away. And that's thought leadership. Um, I know this is such a buzzword. This is such like a little cheeky LinkedIn buzzword that people say, oh, be a thought leader. But what we mean is not just going and writing broetry on LinkedIn, as they call it. <laughs> Have you not heard that before? No. Education. Have you heard it before, Tim? No, that's brilliant. Well, there you go. It's, it's about actually being a fantastic resource. So the one that always comes to mind for me is HubSpot. Like if I want a good source to link back to something in an article that I'm writing about marketing and I need a source to back me up, I'm pretty much always going to go to HubSpot first or if I'm looking in the search results and the top one, the top result is somebody that I don't know and the second one's HubSpot, even though HubSpot was second, I'm more likely to pick that. And I think that's kind of what what you want to do as well. You want to be, you know, 
the person that people come to. And I know, Tim, you said, you know, B2Bs have like industry insider experience, even though it's more of a smaller niche, you can't kind of write your vague LinkedIn posts about it. It's it there's actually power in that. I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about about that side of things. Yeah, I think there's a there's a misconception that I think one of the reasons that B2B companies are maybe hesitant about doing much on social or using YouTube, for example, is they think, well, there's not much audience for what we do. But there actually doesn't have to be that much audience for what you do. There, you know, we've we've worked with clients where there might be 30 customers for the product in the entire world, right? And they say, well, what's the point of video marketing? Well, the point of video marketing, is you can get 15 views on each video, right? <laughs> that's, that's half of your total addressable market. And you might think, well, that's a complete waste of time. But actually, the, the relationship and the engagement that you can get from something like that, when people are seeing you talk and they're getting to know you and, uh, and your business and what you're about is incredibly powerful. So I think you know, thought, thought leadership can be a really useful tool. It can just be bro people talking like virtue signaling garbage on LinkedIn. But I think if rather than uh, most people approach thought leadership or LinkedIn as like, what can I post to make myself look good? I think if you approach it instead of like, who's my target customer? What are the problems that they're struggling with day to day that my organization has knowledge to help them with? It's not just about your knowledge. It's about what can we draw out of the brains of our organization and how can we share something people actually find useful? And if you commit to posting that consistently, on whatever platform suits you. It's what we're doing now, right? We're taking the brains of our organization, hopefully sharing stuff which is going to be useful to people. You can build an incredible connection with an audience. I was talking to a B2B owner last week who was talking about views and they were like, oh yeah, you know, I post these videos and you know, my wife's like, why are you posting these stupid videos? You got 90 views. And I'm like, dude, you travel halfway across the country to talk to a room full of 90 people. The fact that you're getting 90 views on this is extraordinary because the content is so tailored and laser focused to that audience. So I think, yeah, thought leadership can be incredibly powerful. Yes, it feels brutal at the start. Like it's one thing getting 90 views, another thing getting three views. But if you keep at it and you find a way of sharing this stuff with your target audience and it's useful enough, it's not just designed to make you look good, um, then taking that approach to content, social, digital PR can be really beneficial over the long term. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a great place to be. And I know, Annabelle, like you quite often secure sort of comments for clients based on the fact that they have knowledge and then they're the expert in an article about a topic. Um, I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yes, of course. So um, one of our clients, um, the group of audiologists, I saw um, that the Daily Mail kind of had a section all about kind of hearing health and what was going on. And there's been been a few things about how there's more people um, struggling with early loss of hearing due to kind of exposure to loud sound, you know, things like that. So um, when you look at articles that are kind of on topics around what your business does, you can have a look at what journalist has written that article Put the journalist's name into Google and you're more than likely be able to find that they, a lot of them have their own website so you can find an email. If not, you can always contact the newspaper and just put who it's addressed to. Another little trick is if you find any email for that newspaper and then just put their name in front at a lot of the time it will actually get to them because a lot of people, like if you think about it, what our emails at Exposure Ninja, Annabelle Bora, Exposure Ninja. So a lot of the time if you just do that, 
it's worth a try. But And then I was lucky, the actual journalist on that article, found his email, found him on LinkedIn, followed him on LinkedIn, liked a few of his posts, left a few comments. Four days later, sent him an email, knew who I was because I'd been commenting on his articles, which he liked because that helps him out. Said, you know, we've got this fantastic audiologist, you know, told him all about him, all his qualifications. If you ever need an expert for any articles, let us know. I think it was about two weeks later, they came back to me or he came back to me, sorry. And he said, we're doing this article. I'm trying to remember, it's a bit of an odd one, actually. It was to do with glasses that have like hearing aids on. I remember said, this, yeah. He said, we're doing this article. It'd be really great to get, you know, professional opinion on this product. So contacted our client. He kind of gave me the information, wrote a nice quote, checked with obviously client approved it, sent it over to the journalist. He loved it. He used it, boom, done in the article. Yeah. Simple as that, but it, simple simple, as it pays that. to be friendly. It pays to be friendly. I think, Annabelle, you're very, you're very tenacious, but you're also a very friendly person <laughs> and you leave genuine comments and, you know, connect with people in genuine ways and they like that. Um, I think, I think that gets appreciated by a lot of people. That, that is a really good point, Jess. Genuine and tenacious. And they're not, you don't often get both of those in the same person, but that's a really useful skill set for what we're talking about, like building a network amongst the people who have a platform in your space, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I second 100%. That, I think that one, another little thing that we haven't mentioned to just very quickly add in is you were talking about doing the posts team as well. Um, on LinkedIn and how you, you know, posting information that they'll find useful and so on. Obviously that's fantastic. And yes, we all know that works really well, but what also works and can get attraction from journalists who then might contact you to put you in stories. It's just now and again, do a nice personal post about, you know, what's going on in the company, why it's important, why you set the company up, you know, um, maybe even your struggles like, oh, terrible week this week did a youtube video and only got nine views you know a bit disappointing whatever you know be personal be show that you're genuine people want to connect with a person not a company so if you give them that then you're more likely to kind of attract those those types of people that you want because you want at the end of the day you, you know you could have i don't know you could have like a thousand likes on a view but it doesn't mean it's going to sell a product yeah, we've seen in the past, um, this kind of segues nicely into our social media section. But um, I saw an influencer who had millions of followers and she needed to get a fulfillment of 35 t-shirts to sell her t-shirts and she didn't hit the fulfillment from a million subscribe or a million followers on Instagram, I think it was. And as you can imagine, that was very embarrassing. That And it was just a bad like product or a bad market fit or I'm, I can't really remember entirely what it was, but it just shows like, you know, yeah, it's, it doesn't always translate. And if you have the power to get that to translate because you're connected with people in a proper way, um, that that is a lot more important. And yeah, just on the conversation of social media, I think in the B2B space, you fall into this trap of thinking, LinkedIn, let's go write some poetry. Let's go make some LinkedIn <laughs> posts because that's where business people are. But actually, everybody who works for companies has different hobbies, different interests and different social media platforms that they use. So an example that I like to use a lot is I used to work for an agricultural distributor, which is very B2B, very dry. 
And I used to spend a lot of time on the farm in Forum specifically because that is where the farmers were. Like they were always on there all day. <laughs> and so I would just go on and see like, what kind of things are they talking about? Like what's bothering them? What kind of brands are they not happy with? What kind of brands are they really enjoying at the moment? And just kind of see like what the hot topics were and how could we kind of incorporate what we were talking about into that. Um, and so your social media presence, like farmers, even though they're business owners, they're not on LinkedIn, you know? So even though it's B2B, LinkedIn is just not the place to be. Neither was Instagram, neither was Twitter. It was like Facebook and the farming forum. <laughs> and so, yeah, you, you really have to think about, you'll probably come across hundreds of B2B strategy videos or blogs saying you need to be on LinkedIn, you need to do this, this, and this, but you really need to look at your business and your industry and see whether that is accurate or whether there's more niche places like the farming forum like I said people were on there all the time and they were the target audience and it was very niche it was in the UK so it was like there's there's things out there for every kind of business you just have to sort of know where to look I don't know if either of you have anything to add to social media before we move on swiftly to SEO I think what you're saying Jess is is becoming a bit of a theme it's you're choosing your platform customer first rather than platform first, aren't you? You're not saying, oh, I want to post on LinkedIn because we're B2B. You're saying, well, okay, my customer, what I know about them, how do I actually get in front of them and what messages that are going to resonate with them? Someone's asked a great question. Um, this is about web design. How do I manage to transform my offer, web design and web development from nice to have to very important? And I think this, the, the answer to this is the sort of the key to thought leadership in general because the thing that you might be selling web design and web development doesn't really mean anything to your target customer what does your target customer want if they're the marketing manager in a company they probably want more revenue they want more leads so how do you make your thing most important thing on their to-do list today where you talk about you know how to generate more leads through your website and you show them some before and afters and you explain how you know, if you implement these principles in their website, then, you know, you ge you generate more leads. And, and by talking about the thing that actually means the most to them rather than the thing that means the most to you, you pique their interest and, and then you position your thing as the solution to their problem, which, you know, I know from, we know from experience web design and web development can be incredibly profitable for a business. So that's the thing that you talk about. You don't talk about the fact that your widget does X, Y, Z. You talk about like, what are their career goals? What you know, what, what do they really want? What, what's their pain point? What keeps them up at night? And how do you link it back to, uh, to what you're selling? Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic answer. Thank you, Tim. Um, really quickly, oh, one yeah. last tip. Go for it. Journalists love Twitter. I know we all hate Twitter or X or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm still calling it Twitter like the majority of normal people. But, um, <laughs> journalists do love Twitter. Um, and so I would say if you do want PR coverage, get yourself on Twitter. That was just my little tip. Go where your customer is, right? Your customer is a journalist in that situation. Absolutely. And I do quite frequently. I think people have like these viral tweet moments, don't they? And then you'll see journalists in the comments being like, hey, can I use your yeah, exactly. can I use your pictures? Can I use this, that, and the yeah. other? So if your business is involved in something that's somewhat newsworthy, um, or just that you have you have knowledge. Um, you know, jump in on that. Yeah. Reply in the comments a post like that saying, you know, this massive tree got cut down. Maybe you work in a business related to trees that is also B2B. 
yeah, maybe a tree surgeon or something like that. And you comment on that post with your insights, you know, saying whether it's recoverable, then a journalist might come across that. So there's so many different ways that you can, you know, or you can see those journalists asking in those comments, oh, can we use these pictures? Then you can email them and it's just, you know, goes on and on exactly. and on. And also just put hashtag journal request on everything. Um, well, not on everything because you'll annoy them and they'll probably mute you, but on anything that you think is newsworthy. And yeah. hashtag journal request because then it will go into that channel and that's where the journalists do check, look for things. As I said, I'm taking back the do it on everything. Do not, do not do it on everything. Because <laughs> okay? what happens then is they get really annoyed and they just mute you and then they won't see anything at all. Yeah. Just if you've got something newsworthy or this, you've seen, like you said, something in the news, you're a tree surgeon, you've seen that article about the tree being cut down, maybe you could make a nice little comment about you know, how old the tree was and why, you know, I don't know anything. Something, make it interesting. Try and make it interesting. That's how I got us into the Madonna thing. I thought it was something different from what everyone else was saying. Yeah. Try and think of a different way of saying something. Pop a little quote that a journalist can use. Make it nice and easy so they can take it and just pop it in an article. Journal requests. And yeah, you've got a good chance of, of it getting picked up. Absolutely. 100%. Um I left SEO till last because I feel like it encapsulates everything that we've talked about in terms of what you want to target is all about what your audience is actually searching for, the terminology they're using and the actual questions they have or the problems that they're trying to solve. Like they probably don't even know that they have a problem or that loads of people have this problem and that there's actually a solution to that problem. So for instance, you know, if they're looking for like project management software, they might not even know if they're in kind of an old school business, they might not even know that's a possibility. So they might be looking up, you know, Excel template for managing a project or printable template for managing a project, God forbid, um, you know, and then you can kind of create that content off of that you know, and answer that question and answer these things off of that, get them in, I know this is a bit more than SEO, get them in that lead funnel um, while kind of warming them up to the fact that your thing is the better thing. But it's likely they will be making searches that you haven't thought of. Um, I don't know if you have any insights on that, Tim or Annabelle. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just this morning I've been researching something incredibly worrying which is how to sort of hedge against foreign currency uh risks mm -hmm. so if you bill people in dollars which we do and then the exchange rate changes over time you can end up better off or worse off and you know this is a this is an industry where there are service providers there are software companies and there are consultants all of whom who could help me I don't know which route I need to go down. So the questions I'm asking on Google are really top of funnel. You know, how do you do this thing? What is this? It's like definition terms. No one in this space has written like a knowledge base on here's how to help companies with this type of thing. And if they had, they would be crushing the search results because this is this is prime what, B2B SEO territory. Search results. Sorry, could you just complete that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What is it that I need to write to, to get these amazing search results? Something to do with all of these terms. I'll give you a list at the end. But this is, you know, if you're selling something where the customer is uneducated, they may have never bought this thing before. 
you've got to like don't overestimate the stupidity of the search terms that they're going to be making right at some point i'm probably asking you know what is foreign currency exchange risk and you might think well our customers you know super bright but everyone has to ask that question and the person who asked that question is about to go through a journey of hell and if you can help them if you can like grab them at that point and say here's what it is here's how you mitigate it and guess what our software does it for you you might be able to take someone from like top of the funnel really really super ambient informational search through to conversion in the course of one page and i think that's the opportunity for b2b so it's looking at the questions people are asking throughout the funnel and not being put off if you see low search volume because your total addressable market might be quite small that's okay if you know that your customers have, have are searching for those things because you've spoken to your customers and you've verified that then go for it anyway yeah yeah and to sort of answer a question that we've had on our our live recording of this podcast in terms of finding out what people are searching for if you can't speak to them there's other things to do like look at competitors and the types of questions that competitors are answering on their content and then answer it better look on social media and look on like reviews and um comments and see if people are leaving complaints <laughs> on competitors or even leaving great reviews and saying you know this was amazing they did a really great job of explaining to me why this was this and this and then you can do an article on why this is this is this you can also look at things like um also asked or answer the public and type in a couple of search terms and find out what people are curious about and the kind of things that they they want to learn about um and also, I mean, if sales have already been made, speak to your sales team, or even if you're the salesperson, think about the questions that people ask and the terminology that they actually used. Um, and it will often be quite different to to what you think. Sort of going back to the um, the CT scanner question, you know, there was all sorts of jargon on that page. Whereas I was like, the actual story here is that this is portable. And maybe they're going to want to move it around and people are going to be typing in portable CT scanner. They're not going to be typing in. I don't even know the words. They left my brain immediately because they were so complicated. Um, and that's the thing. Like people aren't going to be searching for all these tiny little specific individual words. They're going to be, they've got a problem. Their CT scanner's in an awkward place and they can't move it about. Yours is portable. They want one that moves about, end of. Um, and that's what they'll be be searching for. Do either of you have any final thoughts on B2B marketing before we wrap up this podcast? I like Reddit. I check Reddit for questions. Reddit is really, really good. There is a subreddit for the most niche things you have ever seen. Yeah. Thank you for that one, Annabelle. I totally forgot about Reddit. <laughs> yes. Fantastic place to find out what issues people are having for sure. Tim, any last words? That sounded a bit morbid, sorry. <laughs> Any last words? Anything else you'd oh, like God, to say? <laughs> no, I've led a happy life and I'm ready to go. Well, there we go. On that note, thank you ever so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you've only just tuned in or you tuned in later, you can catch this on Catch Up on YouTube um, or you can go to your favourite podcast platform of choice and type in Exposure Ninja Podcast and we will come up. This episode will be up in a couple of days. Um, also, if you haven't already, request a marketing review at exposureninja.com slash review. If you, um, if you are accepted, I suppose, I forgot the word that Tim normally uses, then um, you'll get a 15-minute marketing review from one of our marketing consultants helping you with your website and marketing. And on that note, we shall see you next week.
I believe. Goodbye. See you later. Bye, Rom. Goodbye, everybody.